Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Ah, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Last night, huh? Was rough. Um, when I when I sensed that that was the topic that we needed to address, I was like, "Oh no, this is not gonna be fun." Um, but I hope it was needful, and um, I, I I want it to sober us up. I, I do think a lot of times, um, young people don't fully understand the gravity. Of, uh, of, the, of the circumstances. And it's because you've got, you got a lot going on. I remember um, when I was teaching high school, it was, it was funny watching, you know, part of my responsibility was trying to get students' scholarships to college, right? So like, so like art students that were in my classes, I, I wanted them to get, to get the best art scholarships they could, right? So we would be working on that. And, and so in art, what you have to do is you have to prepare a portfolio. And uh, the better your portfolio is, uh, the better scholarships you get. And I remember um, with a lot of students, some of them in this room, uh, trying to convince them that they don't have much time left. Like, you're going ha- you're gonna to have to apply for schools real soon, and uh, you're, this is, you're missing this in your portfolio, you're missing this. And, um, and we need to get things in order if you're actually going to get the scholarships you want. Are you hearing me? It's like that whole like, knock, knocking on their head. And uh, they rarely were, right? And they usually were scrambling at the end. And I think that that's, that's, I think we treat ministry that way too. Like we don't think about things until we have to. Um, and that's no, that's no way to have vision. And I do think that um, we're in danger of losing or um, abusing or even abandoning the things that have been handed down to us, like me included. And, it, and I think it's something to be aware of. And I think if you don't have vision and you don't know where you're going and you're not self-aware, uh, we, could, we could destroy the work that God is doing in us. And so that's what we talked about last night, is that it's a wayward and distracted believer that harms the church. And uh, we don't want to be distracted, and we don't want to be wayward. And just as the destruction of a local church is in the hands of people, uh, the success of a local church is in the hands of people. And when I say that, I, I don't mean like in our power or in our strength or in our ability or in our intellect. I'm not talking about that. Uh, what I mean is that, that the success of Kaya... Uh, the sex, success of, not sex, success, that, it's because in Kaya, we, I have to talk about sex a lot, um, lots of counseling situations about it, um, usually not to have it, usually the, the counsel is, yeah, don't do that, um, no, the success, the success of our ministry is, re- is reliant on whether or not you surrender. Right? Like the strength is in, in the surrendering. And the power of Christ 
is activated by our faith. And so we've got to figure out what that looks like. So today we're going to talk about how Kaya uh, has a part in the deployment of our church. So last night was how to destroy, to destroy a church. Today is how to de- deploy a church. How is it that we receive what's been given to us and run with it in order to fulfill the vision, which is, just as, clean, as plain as I can say it, church planting all over the world. Yep. Like that's, that's the vision. Uh, how do we get there? What does that look like? Um, in 2014, uh, there was a, there was a, a four by 200 race. Um, does anybody, is anybody into track? You're into track? One person's into track. Everyone's like, I'm into like sitting. (laughs) This morning, someone was telling me about how they, they're like into watching Minecraft. Which I know there's not just one person in here. I know that there's a lot of you in here that are probably watching Minecraft in your spare time. Okay, if you're not into track, that's fine. Let me, let me explain it to you. The 4x200 race is a relay race, right? It's a super fast-paced race. Uh, Joe Medlin used to run the, the 4x2. He was on a team that set a, our school record at Lee Summit North when, I was, when we were in high school. I used to love the 4x200. I wasn't fast enough for it, but I enjoyed watching it. And uh, because it was so quick, right? So, so there was a race in 2014, uh, an Olympic race, um, where the Jamaicans set a, a world record. Uh, it was, it's incredible. You can, you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, they didn't make any mistakes. I mean, they, it wasn't that they just ran really fast. But, you know, the real trick in relay races is the handing off of the baton, Right? And every single one of their exchanges was like spot on. It was perfect. By the end of the race, they were so far ahead of everybody else. It was, it was just nuts. They ran it in one minute and 18 seconds. Right? Um, now, the Americans were actually expected to compete in this race. Like they, they thought that the Americans would maybe even be able to give the Jamaicans a run for their money. But between the second and third exchange for the Americans, they were in lane six, as one guy was handing off the baton, making the exchange, there was a fumble. It was like a, a slight bobble. And uh, it always looks so bad in, in relay races when, when like, it's so obvious when something's not right. And they, they clawed their way back. I mean... They, they did their very best to get back into the race, and they ended up getting third place, which is insane. But um, by the end of the race, they, they discovered there was actually a scratch, and, and they were disqualified completely from the race. So they actually didn't place at all. And I think this illustrates, this illustrates the point. There's a right way to run a race, and there's a wrong way to run a race. And, uh, and we can fumble the baton. We can fumble it. That's a possibility. And um, like we said last night, that, that is the danger between generations. Now, if our ministry is a race, then MBT leadership is squarely rounding the 40-yard mark and extending their arm to exchange the baton to you. That's what's happening. All the discipleship, all the training, all the ministry, all the hours of love and family that we spend together, you know, every one of those Sunday services where pastors, you know, they spend hours of their week in some sort of dungeon studying to bring you, you know, to bring you food 
from God's word, you know, all of those hours and all that time and energy, it's not that we, so that we entertain ourselves with church. Like all of these things are done for a ministry or for, for ministry purposes. Kenny, Kenny Morgan, I mean, does Kenny Morgan do anything by accident? I mean, this is like the, this is like the most bridled individual. Everything is part of a strategy. He doesn't, he doesn't build the discipleship team just because, oh, well, it's probably the right thing to do. We should probably have a discipleship team. No, everything's done with intention. Everything's done with structure. Everything's done with purpose. Because we're trying to run a, a, a race well. We're trying to be good soldiers. And so you have to understand that MBT leadership is actively preparing to hand the baton to you in everything that we do. All of these things, all of these things, the, the, the training, the LFBI, I mean, do you know what it takes to run a Bible school? Again, like, let's, let's be circumspect for a moment. Do you know what, it's, what it takes to have absolutely no resources and then just decide one day, well, I think the Living Faith Fellowship needs a Bible Institute. And then just start building that thing. Do you know what that requires? All of this is the exchange. All of this is the baton. The question is, will we receive it or will we fumble it? Or, or worse yet, will we disqualify ourselves completely? So the question for today's message is, what does it look like to be deployed? What, what things do we, Kaya and the other young adult ministries within our fellowship, what things do we need to prioritize personally to ensure that future disciples get made and churches get planted? I, I, I would bet it's probably kind of crazy for Living Faith Lee Summit and Living Faith Tampa to even think that within the next five to ten years, you guys will be planting churches. You get that, right? That's, that's happening. I mean, that, at least that's what you were planted to do. Your church was planted to be church planting churches, right? Like, so it's on the horizon. And so we've got to figure out what does it look like for us to ensure that we run that race well. Let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. I thank you for all these people that are gathered here this morning. Um, it's, it's, um, it's humbling to have your, your word open. And it's really challenging to speak so plainly about things that we take for granted. And just as I prepared this, I'm just looking at it and I'm asking myself, am I doing these things? Is this actually who I am? Um, and so, Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us and you'd challenge us and you'd remind us of the first things, the foundational truths that we've received. Lord, would you envision us? Would you help us to ask ourselves really hard questions about who we are in relation to you in this work? Like, like what is our gifting? And, uh, and, and am, I, am I actually discipling? Am I actually investing? Am I an evangelist? Or, like, we should be asking ourselves really difficult questions, and I pray that people would leave here today seeing that they have a, a much greater purpose uh, than what they realized. Uh, that they would discover that they've taken you for granted and uh, that time has been slipping away, that they, that they would awaken from their slumber. And Lord, that we would be refreshed and ready to move forward and to be exactly what it is you want us to be. Help us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Every good runner trains. Every good runner eats healthy. That's probably, that's probably the main reason I'm not a good runner. It's because I don't like to eat healthy. I, I'm doing my best. Did you notice that salads aren't actually that good for you? Like if you go to a restaurant. Have you ever noticed that? Eve and I were talking about this yesterday. I felt really good about the salad I ate yesterday until she was like, well, you know, that probably has more calories than the burger. <laughs> it totally, you know, ruined, it ruined it for me. I felt really good. Every good runner knows that there are disciplines necessary for competition. Every good runner knows what needs to be prioritized in order to win. And if one is going to be effective in ministry and have a part in the work of multiplication, then there are certain aspects of ministry life that need to be taken very, very, very seriously. So what are those things in our ministries? Let's speak very plainly about this today. I want it to be really practical. Habakkuk 2.2 says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. Okay, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to make the vision as plain as possible so that no one will be confused about how to run the race. So you may be saying uh, to yourself, because I think there's a lot of different people in here. I mean, there's, st- there's still people in here I haven't met yet. They were here last night. Like, I hope to meet everybody um, new before, you, before we leave today, but... There's people probably in all different stages of life, and you're probably asking yourselves all different kinds of questions about your relationship with Christ. I don't know who God wants me to be. Like, I don't know what my faith looks like a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. I don't, I don't, I don't see those things clearly. I don't, I don't know if I'm a missionary. I mean, there's people in here that are grappling with that. I don't know if I'm a church planner. Am I supposed to be a pastor? Am I supposed to be a... Am I supposed to be a deacon? Am I a leader? Can I lead? So here are the disciplines we have to get right in order to discover what God's making us into. Like, I don't have answers for you. A lot of times I'll have folks come to me in ministry and be like, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? I, I think, I mean, I feel this way. I, feel, I think I'm maybe gifted this way, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I have a heart to be a pastor. I don't know if I'm supposed to be a church planner. I don't know if I'm supposed to be a missionary or just like a, a really awesome kid town worker. Like, I don't know who I'm supposed to be. And people come to me and they think that I'm going to like give them the solution. Like, I'm going to just say to them, oh, well, actually, you're supposed to be. And that's not my responsibility. I don't know how to do that. Okay. That's, that's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. The only thing that I can do is show you the path to discovering that. You understand? That's the only thing I can do. I can show you the way so that at whatever point you need to make that discovery, God will make it clear. And so we're going to talk about a series of things today that have to be true of us if we're going to discover who we're supposed to be. And the first thing is, you know, whether or not we will prioritize prayer. Okay, so the first thing that we have to be is prayer warriors. And, I, and I, I think that this is actually the place to start. I mean, of all the things on this list, I think this is the place to start. So what is prayer? 
Prayer is the act of communing with the Creator. That's what it is. It's the act of communing with the Creator. Now, why do we do it, and why do we take it so seriously? Now, strategically speaking, because again, we're talking about deployment, so the language is going to lean militaristic, okay? We're soldiers in a fight. But strategically speaking, we pray because we must tap into God's divine purposes and resources. That's why we pray. And I don't use the word must likely or lightly. When I say we must tap into the divine resources, we must. Otherwise, nothing else that we're going to talk about today will do you any good. We have to learn to pray. Prayer must be central to the life of every Christian. And, you know, here's the deal. As you get older, did you know that prayer doesn't get any easier? It's an incredibly difficult discipline. I think a lot of times um, we find ourselves, as you, as, when you're young, you're like, yeah, I don't pray enough, right? Like, I'm working on that, right? But let me explain something to you. When you get married and have kids and have, like, a full-time job, finding time to prioritize prayer, it doesn't actually get any easier. It gets harder. And so this is a discipline that you've got to learn now. You've got to learn it now. It has to be central to who you are. If a young person can master this discipline then you'll effectively prioritize prayer for the rest of your life. And, and the, the Word of God tells us that you'll become a person of peace. You'll become a person that's tempered in your thoughts and emotions. You know, so many of us in this room, we're struggling with our emotions, up and down. But the Bible tells us that prayer is a way of getting a hold of our emotions and bridling them. Philippians 4, uh, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And, so the byproduct, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's a relationship between prayer and peace. And so a lot of you, you, you would cure a lot of those emotional ups and downs in your life if you would just learn to sit at the feet of the Creator and speak with Him. Prayer is absolutely critical. It says, be careful for nothing. Pray with abandon. Pray in every instance that you can find an opportunity. Pray. If you're stingy in this area, God will be stingy with you. If you hold back your prayers, he'll hold back the blessing. That's just, like, that's, that's just true. He made you to commune with him. And if you're going to withhold, and you're going to be, you know, a naive and ignorant brat as it concerns your, your time with God, you know, I see, I see these parents, they take their kids out, they're at restaurants and things. And their six, seven, eight-year-old kid is on the phone the whole time playing video games. 
Like, there's no other better place to commune with your children than around food and just hanging out and enjoying each other. And these little brats are on their phone playing, you know, whatever, playing, I don't know what the, Minecraft, yeah. Uh, man, God wants to bless you. But man, he's much more likely to, to bless his friends. <laughs> I mean, if you would be his friend, right? So key point number one. Prayer is the power that sits at the heart of blessing. Prayer is the power that sits at the heart of blessing. If you become a person of prayer, listen, this is, a, this is like, I'm, I'm telling you this, this is a promise, this is a scriptural promise. If you become a person of prayer, then you're becoming a person of fruitfulness. Ian Bounds is a, you know, a famous writer and commentator on prayer, old school guy. He says the following, The prayers of God's saints are the capital stock in heaven by which Christ carries on his great work upon earth. So if we're talking about deployment, what we're talking about is usefulness, being used by God. And prayer is an an investment in God's work on earth. And if we want to be used and we want to see God magnified and we want to see him glorified, then we have to come before him and ask. Bounds also says, if we're talking about generations, I felt this was appropriate, prayers outlive the lives of those who utter them. They outlive a generation. They outlive an age. And they outlive the world. What a, that's powerful. So every believer who's serious about being deployed needs to do the following. The first thing is you need to prioritize prayer during the day. I'm telling you, this is, I told you this would be super practical. You need to find time to pray. Now, I really love the fact that you pray while you're driving. I think it's great that you, you know, you pray when you're in the restroom or you find little moments throughout the day to talk to God. I hear people say, they, yeah, yeah I, I love to pray. I love to talk to God. And what they mean, they mean by that is that whenever they need something throughout the day, they just, throw, they just throw up a prayer. And what I'm talking about is something much deeper than that. What I'm talking, not that there's anything wrong with those prayers. What I'm saying is that there needs to be something much deeper if we want the peace and the fruitfulness that we're talking about. We need seasons of prayer every single day. Now, again, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I, I can't tell you what that's supposed to look like. You're grown folk. You get to decide when you pray. Are you going to pray in the morning? Are you going to pray in the evening? Are you going to pray over your lunch break? When are you going to find time to sit down with the Lord and talk with him? Now, I'm saying this right now, and I know a lot of people right now are just saying to themselves, oh, yeah, I need to do that. That'd be good. I need to come up with that. I need to come up with something like that. Man, those hard-boiled eggs, those were disgusting. (laughs) 
like, we're like completely unintentional about the, about the way we think about these things because we're spoiled brats. We're not any better than that kid with the cell phone at dinner with his family. Oh, yeah, I should probably think about that prayer, like a prayer time. That would be really good. And then you never do anything about it. You don't change a single thing. We're, I mean, we're a bunch of liars. I mean, it's absolutely despicable to sit through a worship set like this and then on the other side of it, remind ourselves that we're supposed to pray and then just be like, oh yeah, that would be good. Look, I'm, I, what we're talking about is being used by God. Do you want to be used by God? Yeah, I want to be used by God. Are you willing to pray? Well, mm, when I'm driving in my car, maybe. Man, that's sickening. There's things that have to change. We have to prior, prioritize prayer during our day. The next thing that we need to do is we need to prioritize the collective prayer meeting. Very practical. We have a corporate prayer meeting where we come together as a church and we pray as a family. And that time is very, very important. Some of the other churches also have prayer meetings. I think the, the prayer meeting on Tampa, in Tampa is also Tuesday. Also Tuesday. And then at Lee Summit, they do a Wednesday thing. Is it every other week, right? Is it still every other week? And you come together and you have prayer. Time devoted as a family to pray together, to get around the vision. As a family, to get around the vision and pray about the vision. And we do that. And no one's telling you you have to be there. I know there's a lot of people here that are in discipleship, and your disciples probably pressuring you to, to, to go to the Tuesday night prayer meeting. No one's going to tell you you have to do that, and that you're like an evil person if you're not going to go, or you can't make it, or, or there's some sort of providential hindrance. Okay? Like, some people have to work Tuesday nights. No one's mad at you, okay? But listen to me. You're, you're freaking missing out. You're just missing out on something so precious. Listen to me. I'm not great at prayer. I confess right now that there are areas and aspects of my life that I can, I can improve my prayer life in. But I'll tell you this. If it wasn't for the prayer meeting, that started in 2004, I believe. That Sam Miles started in 2004. If I didn't start attending that prayer meeting, I would have never learned how to pray. That prayer meeting taught me how to pray. And it could teach you too. It could teach you to make prayer a priority. You know, the last thing is this, this prayer after prayer thing that we do. Oh yeah, that thing that sometimes we go to and then sometimes we don't. Like, if I can get up there, it's cool. And, I'm, and I, again, I'm the first to admit that there's a lot of times where ministry, some, you know, after a prayer meeting, someone will come to me and they'll have a serious issue that I have to sit down and I have to counsel them with. Okay, now, now that's my excuse because I'm the pastor. But some of you are just sitting there and there's a group of believers that are going up to the balcony after the prayer meeting to spend 15 minutes to call out names in specificity. So-and-so at my workplace. So-and-so in my classroom. So-and-so in my Bible study. God, please, save their soul. And, and all I know is that from, from the time that we started doing prayer after prayer, 
Well, look around. I mean, there are people in this room that know Jesus Christ and are disciples of Jesus Christ because someone said your name in prayer after prayer. In order to be deployed for the mission, then prayer is where you must begin. We have to ask God's blessing on the labor of our hands. God, don't allow me to strive in vain. God, make a way where there isn't a way. We, we've got to be about it. You guys hear that? Does that make sense? Number two, we've got to prioritize evangelism. Because see, what we're talking about here, I could talk about this many different ways. We're talking about it in terms of priorities, but listen to me. What we're really talking about is the DNA of who we want to be. Like whatever gets transferred to Tampa, whatever gets transferred to Boston or Lee Summit or wherever it is, or Vietnam, wherever we decide to go to take the gospel, these are the things that are supposed to go with us. You understand? These are the things that we can't forget. And evangelism has to be a priority. What is evangelism? It's the act of sharing our faith with the lost. Why do we do it? Why? Strategically speaking, from the perspective of a soldier, this is how we recruit. This is how we get more soldiers. As we share our faith, listen to me, no fruitful believer has ever been a quiet believer. Do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, all of us with our excuses. No fruitful believer has ever been a quiet believer. Oh, sure, you may be shy, but you don't get to be quiet. Not if you want to be fruitful. Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How do the, how do the lost hear the gospel without a preacher? I mean, there are literally people in Kansas City, Missouri, who've never heard about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They literally don't know the story. And they're in your classrooms. And they're in your workplaces. And you don't know that they don't know. Because you're not kind enough and you're not bold enough to ask. Super practical. They're not going to hear if they don't hear you preach. Romans 1.15, we read this passage last night. So as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. This is Paul talking. He's ready to roll. He's ready to go preach the gospel in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, some of us are. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein 
is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Key point number two, evangelism is the resolute act of stealing from the enemy. Evangelism is the resolute act, the determined act to go steal from the enemy. It's warfare, is it not? He makes, I, I, when I was writing that down, I was thinking about, um, since like, video games are like a, a theme for the message this morning, you, all these games like Grand Theft Auto and like uh, Skyrim and all these different games, there's always a, a, like a sneak mode, isn't there? It's like every game. You can steal stuff in like every video game. It's phenomenal. Right? And you, prow- you can like prowl around and like build, your, build like your ability to like steal things. You know, some of us need to get much better at stealing from the enemy. And we've got to get sneak mode down. There's like skill sets that we need to learn in order to properly thieve from Satan. Every good soldier is also an incredible thief. And in order to be deployed, you've got to learn how to open your mouth. You've got to master the discipline of evangelism. So listen to me. Again, we're being practical, right? So every believer, serious about being deployed, will, one, identify your field. Where are you supposed to go? Where are you supposed to go? Is it your workplace? Is it your neighborhood? Is it, is it your classroom? Where, where is your battlefield? Where is it that you do your work? Where do you share your faith at? Now, sometimes this strategy changes in seasons of life. You've got to re-strategize. This is why the Bible studies are all coming over to our house on Mondays so I can meet with you guys and discuss strategy. It's important. So you need to identify your field. And then next you need to prioritize inviting the lost to Bible study. There's some of you guys have Bible studies. You love your Bible study. It's like your crew. Like Uriah's Bible study was the last group to come over to my house. And those dudes are just like the most unique group of guys. And they are about each other. They've got, that Bible study has a culture. It has a culture. And it's cool to see. They like speak each other's language. It's like, I think they speak Klingon. <laughs> I don't know. But, it's, but these dudes are cool. Okay? And we're talking about what it looks like them to invite people into, into their group. Because listen, here's the deal. It's really easy for every one of your Bible studies to get real internally focused. Every, every time you leave a Bible study, the first thing you should do is, is ask yourself, I wonder who I can bring next week. You get in your car to drive away, the first thing that you should think to yourself is, who is it that I'm going to pray about bringing this next time for Bible study? It's, you've got to think that way. I mean, there are people in the room right now who are thankful that someone asked them to Bible study. Because if they didn't get invited to Bible study, they would have never accepted Jesus Christ in this room right now. People delivered from hell. 
because someone was kind enough to invite them, very awkwardly, to a Bible study. Uh, would you like to study the Bible? <laughs> I mean, I think that's how we imagine in our mind that it sounds coming out of our mouth. But here's the deal. For someone who's spiritually minded, which a lot of people are, someone who's inquisitive, even just like this much, when you invite them to study the Bible, they oftentimes just say, yeah, that sounds fine. I'd like to do that. That's how it works. But we've got to be thinking that way. We've got to prioritize. Well, beyond that, we need to prioritize one-on-one -on -one Bible studies. Like, I think a lot of times, we, uh, because we have the group Bible study, we rely on that. When some of us know that the more difficult cases, we're not going to get them to come to that group. Like, there's certain cases where, like, yeah, so-and-so is not going to come to the group Bible study. But they probably would. They like me. I mean, they might not like all the other people in my Bible study yet, but they like me. I've built a relationship with them. I'm going to study the Bible with them, just me. And that's where creation of Christ comes in. And there's some of you, you've not asked a single person to do a creation of Christ study with you. And you should. The other thing is we need to prioritize hit the streets. It's a thing. Now, you might not be able to go to all of them, but it's good for you and it's healthy for you from time to time to get your Bible study together and go hit the streets. To go talk to people. To go share your faith. It's healthy. And it's fruitful. I mean, if you're, if you're not into, like, casting seed, that's fine, I guess. I mean, we are called to do it, though. You need, to, you need to think about that. You want, you're thinking, okay, well, we want to reach people. My Bible study wants to reach people in this neighborhood. Call Lon. He'll put together a team. They'll come help you go door to door in the neighborhood where you minister. Uh, we want to we we do something. I don't quite know how to do it, but I'd like to do something where we're like inviting people to this thing, this activity on my campus. Call on. He'll help you put a team together. Mobilize your Bible study. Get out. Go meet people. We need to get better at this. I think we're getting better at it. But there's a lot of room to grow. Next, we need to prioritize discipleship. The act of investing our faith into another person. Why? Well, strategically speaking, I mean, speaking like a soldier, because we need our soldiers to be elite. We need them to be elite. Right? You, you don't send a, a mall security guard into battle. I mean, I don't think anybody wants... Um, Paul <laughs> defending our country. Which, by the way, I'd never seen that movie. And even I started watching it, and it's so bad. I, we couldn't get, we got like halfway through it. It's bad. Some of y'all like that movie. That tells me that your taste is terrible. <laughs> that movie is trash. 
But it illustrates my point really well, right? You don't send people like that dude into battle, but Christianity is full of them. Like, cultural, nominal Christianity is just like a bunch of Paul Blarths or whatever his name is. Bart? Whatever. Right? See, but what discipleship does is it makes soldiers elite. It makes them equipped. It prepares them so that they have an answer. When someone asks them a hard question, they've got the answer. They can say, well, look at what the Word of God says. They can wield the sword. They're weaponized. And every one of us should be utilizing, because of this, we should be utilizing the path of growth. And we need to be contributing to the path of growth. Oh, okay, wait, what's that? Say that again. Oh, you know that gigantic sign in our lobby? Oh, you remember that? Have you seen that before? It's huge. And it tells you each step in the growth process. So you can literally walk up to it and, and you can look at it and contemplate for a moment and you can determine where you're at in your development. And every, every, every one of our churches has a similar, a similar approach to that. All of us have discipleship. All of us have D2. All of us have LFBI, right? 2 Peter 3.18 but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. 1 Timothy 4.6 If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things. He's, he's pleading with Timothy to put, put the brethren in remembrance of these things. The things that were taught to him. The doctrines. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Whereunto thou hast attained. Key point three. Discipleship multiplies the work of our hands. That's what it does. It multiplies the work of our hands. So every, every believer, serious about being deployed, every believer who's genuinely serious about being used by God, being fruitful in their life, will begin with the cost of discipleship. Now I say that because there are people in this room right now who are new believers who just started attending our church and you're just now hearing about this discipleship thing like he won't shut up about it and you need to go to the cost of discipleship class to figure out what it's going to cost you to become a disciple of Jesus because it does cost you something. If it didn't cost you anything it wouldn't, it wouldn't be worth doing. All the good things cost something. And following Jesus Christ, it's the same. So you been, begin with cost of discipleship, and then you move forward into discipleship, which is the one-on-one -on -one mentorship relationship. But there's some things that we need to remember about discipleship. I mean, raise your hand if you're in discipleship right now. You're being discipled. Man, that's, that's cool. Check that out. I mean, there's at least 20 people just raise their hands. In discipleship. Listen to me. Be faithful to the process. Don't make excuses, please. Discipleship is only as effective as you let it be. Be faithful. It's not a program. Don't turn it into a program. 
Trust what God's doing through your discipler. And here's the deal. Beyond that, those of us who've been through the process of discipleship, do you guys guys know what I'm talking about? When you finish biblical discipleship and you sign up for D2, and then you sit down in that classroom, and you're like, wow, this is different. I kind of wish I was still being discipled. I liked when I had someone I, had to talk, I could talk at for hours. I liked that better. Listen to me. The, the process evolves and it changes on purpose so that things become less about you and more about the mission. So that's why it goes from a one-on-one situation to a classroom setting. So you can get, kind of get your eyes off yourself and start thinking about the mission itself, Right? But here's the deal. Leaders in ministry, you always need to have mentors in your life. You're never done being discipled. You're never done. I I have people discipling me. I disciple and I have people discipling me and that's what the rest of my life will look like. That never ends. And we need to be discipling. We need to be a contributor, not a consumer. When you're in discipleship and you're getting discipled, folks that are in discipleship right now, you need to be thinking in the back of your mind in every single conversation, in every single lesson, I will be teaching this soon. I will be making this investment in someone else. Imagine it, picture it, get your mind around it, reckon it, reckon it now. No one cares about how afraid you are or I don't know if I have anything to offer. Sorry. So, sometimes I rely on like just really like bad ministry stereotypes. But if it gets you to laugh, I guess it's worth it. But like all these like silly fears. No, 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 no. You get discipled and you disciple. That's what you do. So you need to be, at some point you need to be a contributor, not a consumer. This is why the apprenticeship thing is so great. And I don't know if the other churches are doing it yet. Uh, maybe in time, as the ministry grows, you can afford to do that. It's easier to do the bigger the church gets. But we do this apprenticeship thing, and it's awesome. It's a beautiful transition for a new discipler. And I'm really thankful that we do it because, because it helps those people who, who need a little bit more time to cook before they disciple. It's really good. Now, here's the other thing. I need to make sure that I make this clear. Is that if discipleship is going to be serious to us, then we need to, to make D2 and LFBI a serious thing. We need to take them serious. Some of you guys suck. I just, I mean, in general, you, like, but more specifically, I mean, you just, like, stuck at, you suck at studying. Like, you sign up for a, an LFBI class, or you sign up for D2, and then you don't, you don't receive it like it's lifeblood. I mean, like, you totally have missed the fact that men of God who've been doing ministry for 30 and 40 years, who've been studying their Bible for just as long, have spent hours of their life preparing something to teach you. And you treat it like it's optional. You treat it like it's that, that like crummy elective that you had to take to graduate. You guys know what I'm talking about? With that dumb professor that you disagree with everything about? 
Everything they say, you're like, that's stupid. I can't believe I'm here right now. Everybody had that. Everybody had that experience. Saran has got that experience going on right now. Contemporary art and design, right? Yeah. Don't worry, your professor's not going to watch this. Um, some of you guys treat LFBI that way. Uh, you don't get your essays turned in on time. Like, and here's the deal. None of this is arbitrary. And no one's trying to trick you. Like, everything is set up. Dan, Dan teaches D2 here at, at Living Faith Lee Summit. You think he's just doing that because it's fun for him? You think he's got any more time in his life to devote to things like that? He's got no time. And then you go and you sit down in that classroom and you just consume. You don't turn in your assignments. You're not actually paying attention and you might lose your notes. And you might... Like soldiers take training seriously. That's what they do. And I think sometimes we forget that. I think we enjoy discipleship so much. Some of us enjoy it so much because we like that it's all about us. So that's easy. But when we get to LFBI and we get to, to D2 and things like that, it's not all about you anymore. It's all about the mission. And you've got to let go of you and enjoy the, these things for what they are. Training to be a good soldier. Are you... Are you hearing that? Can't quite tell. Some, maybe people are just really convicted. You got, because you got an F in your recent speech and reasoning class. <laughs> Renee's still grading, so there's no Fs yet. She's still helping us get things graded. Next, the, the priority of ministry. The priority of ministry. What is ministry? <clears throat> it's the act of obeying God's commands. That's what ministry is. And ministry is serving the body and it's reaching the lost. It's both. It's, it's both. Now why do we do it? Strategically speaking, I mean, we do it for a lot of reasons. Ministry is a big term. It houses a lot of different ideas. But strategically speaking, for the sake of our conversation this morning... Ministry is the training ground for every believer. It's where you'll cut your teeth. See, ministry forces you to mortify your flesh and put others over you. When you go into your kid town class, and your, or you do hospitality, or you're cleaning up the cafe, or you're doing different things at your church that sometimes feel monotonous, that is the, that is the act of dying to you and putting other people first. I think we forget that too. I think that's another thing that we forget. That the, the, one of the beautiful things about ministry is that you don't need to like it. It's good for you. It's going to make you less selfish. You know, ministry forces you to discover your gifting too. Um, when I was in discipleship a long time ago, Dan made me join the hospitality team. He like had a team, and he made me join the hospitality team. Now let me tell you something. 
The thing that I dislike the most about the hospitality team, and he may remember this, is that I had to buy a pair of khakis. <laughs> and I think I had to tuck my shirt in even. I don't remember. But, but Brandon in 2002 was not into khakis. Okay? I felt it was like business casual. Right? I, I, I was not pleased, like a collared shirt. There were things about it that I didn't like, and that's what made it actually great. It's exactly what I needed. He pushed me, and he, he placed me in ministry, and I got to do hospitality. And it forever changed me, being in that ministry. Learning how to pe treat people, strangers, as they walk in the doors of my church, that, that affected me for the rest of my life. I learned to be hospitable. I learned to be loving towards people that I didn't know. I, I learned how to put a smile on my face and extend my hand and make sure people knew that they were welcome. I learned how to do that. And through that, it helped me discover more about who I actually am as a believer. Dan also made me do jail ministry. I don't actually know how this happened because I remember being at the jail a lot without you there. <laughs> It was like you were done with jail ministry and you replaced, I think you did the, uh, like a, a switchamaroo. You're like, I'm not in jail ministry, but I'm going to replace myself. <clears throat> I mean, I'm 18 and I'm preaching to like 50-year-old, you know, drug dealers. It was so good for me. Ministry is where leaders learn to take risks on you. They learn to take risks on you. Leaders are watching you. They see you. They know where you're at. They know your weaknesses. They know your, your strengths. I mean, give them credit. It doesn't seem always like they're watching or that they're aware, but they see and they want to take risks on you. And they will at an appropriate level. But you've got to be faithful. You've got to be faithful. Ministry forces you to learn submission to leaders. Ministry forces you to learn how to submit to spiritual leaders in your life, authorities. Some of you, if you're anything like how I was when I was a young person, I had a hard time with authority in general. I, I grew up and I was, cult, I, I was cultivated, I was developed as a human being in an environment that made it very difficult for me to respect older people. I was very, very cynical and pessimistic as it concerned anybody that bossed me around. I just had so many bad experiences and so many authorities in my life had failed me. And I, in ministry, I learned to say yes. I learned to die to myself. I learned to put what Sam wanted over the things that I wanted. I got to learn to prioritize his opinions over my own. I learned how to be quiet. I learned how to do things that I didn't want to do. Ministry shows you how to manage relationships with others. I could go on and on, by the way, and I don't think we have time. I'm, I'm going I'm to let up here in a second. But, but it, it, it teaches you how to interact with your peers doesn't it? And that's important too. Now, not to mention, besides all of that, not to mention, 
Well, we should just want to serve the body of Christ. We should just want to do that. That should be an innate thing. The Holy Spirit, like, built into us. We should have a desire to serve other people. You know it. It wrenches on your heart. That's what Christians do. Acts 20, 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his blood. We have a responsibility to one another. To serve the flock, to oversee it. So key point number four, the ministry makes servants of soldiers. The ministry makes servants of soldiers. So every serious believer who wants to be deployed will first and foremost find a place in ministry and get to work. You've heard us say, every member a minister, right? So don't be overly picky. Where, where do we need help in ministry? Go there. That's how you should get started. Look around. Ask. Ask around. Do they need help in Kidtown? Yes, they do. Do they need help on the security team? Yes, they do. Do the hospitality teams need help? Yes, they do. They do. They need help. Just look around. Ask. What areas of ministry need help? And get your hands dirty. We need it. We need your help. Next, take ministry seriously. Be faithful. Be on time. Be on time. Freaking young people. Be on time. And don't park so close to the church. Let the old people park close to the church. Be faithful to simple things. You know, contribute your creative ideas, but don't be offended when things don't go the way you want. We want your opinions. We just might not use them. Third, balance ministry. Now, this is true for Kaya, and I don't, for other churches, it's going to be a little bit different because in some other churches in the fellowship, you're small enough where you're relied on to do a lot of stuff. And so I want you to hear the sentiment, what I'm, what I'm saying here. There's a principle involved. As a general rule, our ministers serve somewhere in the church once a month. Once a month. You've got a ministry a month. You serve somewhere in the body, one Sunday and one, or one Tuesday or both, once a month. And the rest of the time, get your butt in class and be in fellowship because being in Kaya is important because we're doing ministry too. And lost people are coming into our class every single Sunday and they need to meet you. And some of us are making way too many excuses and we're getting pulled into way too much work because we've forgotten that we minister in our fellowships as well. So be balanced in your approach to ministry. You know, we like to, to be needed. And so when someone's like, hey, could you fill in? That's what it sounds like to me. When the, all I have to hear is, could you fill in? And then everything else just becomes, they can say anything. I'm going to say no. I'm joking. No, I mean, there's going to be reasons why, like, there's an emergency and you've got you to fill in the gap. That's good ministers do that. But listen to me, as a general rule, be in fellowship. Get under the word of God. 
worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and be prepared every single Sunday to minister to someone in Kaya that you don't know. That's not just my job. Y'all are wearing me out. Get busy. Go meet people. So be balanced in ministry. Number five. I know, y'all, I'm going long. I know. Sorry. This is important. We only do this a couple times a year, right? Five. The priority of missions activity. The priority of missions activity. Specifically, I mean the work of sending young people to go serve on the field in short-term capacities. That's what I mean. So, that might look like a week in, in Tampa. That might mean a two-by-two trip to Boston. It might mean a semester in Vietnam at some point. It might, it might mean six months in Costa Rica. I mean, who would hate that? Why? Why? Because strategically speaking, in terms of strategy, in terms of deployment, this is how we set our eyes on the field. It's how we serve those churches that we've sent out. It's how we help. It's how we activate members to familiarize themselves with the work of planting churches. Some of you just going to visit Tampa or visit Boston, you've been so, become so aware of what it requires Man, that's good learning. I mean, not only is it healthy to go help and to serve, but you learn so much along the way, and that's good. That's good to do. In a growing church that's talking about church planting, we should probably go look at church plants. Paul recognized he had a responsibility to bless and help the network of churches that he helped establish. Romans 1.10, making request, if by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. And we've got to see value in this the same way Paul did. Key point number five. Missions activity makes us all responsible for the work of going, every one of us. It's not just for the church planners. We're all involved. So every serious believer, every person that's serious about being deployed is going to take missions trips. Kaya is going to take missions trips. We're going to take them. We're going to not drag our feet. We're going to sign up for a two-by-two trip. We're going to trust the Lord to save a, you know, a few hundred dollars to get a plane trip and go up to Boston and help. Go evangelize at a campus. Go do the stuff that you do here. Go do it there. It's good for us. We're responsible for it. You know, you may never actually be on a church plant team. But you can honor who God made you to be by supporting those who do. Six. The sixth and, and final one. The priority of sending. The priority of sending. This is the act of multiplying the work in other places, meaning church planting and missions. Why do we do it? Strategically speaking, it's how we take territory for Christ. 
See, the thing that we've got to remember is that the end goal of everything, everything, of our stewardship, of our dispensation, the end goal is every single voice on the planet worshiping the Lord. It's, the goal is actualizing what we see in Revelation, where every ethnicity, every nation, every tongue, every tribe is represented in the worship of God, but, but, but here on earth. We're, we're, we're aiming one soul at a time to see every person on earth saved. Now you say to yourself, but Brandon, that's impossible. Bullcrap? Not from my perspective. I don't care what you have to say about it. I'm functioning as though that's possible. And if I'm deluded, so be it. We are taking territory for Christ. This is the command. Acts 1.8 But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now listen to me. We don't just send anybody. These church plant teams... We don't just send anybody. We can't. That'd be ridiculous. No, we send faithful people. Proven people. Because you're not going to go do there what you're not doing here. You're not going to add anything to any of these church plants. Boston, Tampa, you have nothing to add. If you're not doing all these things that we've been talking about, Right here. We need to be contributors, not consumers, like we've said so many times. We need to learn to be contributors and not just consumers. And listen to me. We're not sending anybody that's got a bunch of baggage. I don't despise your baggage, but we're just not sending you. People with untamed emotions... Everywhere you go, there seems to be drama. Ain't nobody sending you to do that work. You can want to be a church planner all day long, but no one's going to send you to do it. You've got to have control of your emotions. You've got a poor financial situation. You, you, don't, you haven't handled your money well. Well, we're probably not going to drop you in a place like Boston where everything is like $5 million dollars. We're not going to send people who have job problems all the time. They can't keep a job. That's the last thing that needs to be distracting that church. We're not going to send people with marriage problems. They can't get along with their spouse. We're not sending these people. And so if, if everything that we're talking about is this idea that, that a baton is being handed to us, and some of us will be discipling and evangelizing in Kansas City, planting Bible studies all over our city, all over Tampa, all over, you know, wherever it is that you're at. And that's your responsibility. Well, there's some of us, there's some of us that are going to be, that are going to be drawn towards the work of church planning. And I believe it'll be a lot of us over time. And as we get closer to that moment, there's got to be certain things that are true of us. We've got to be faithful. We've got to, all of us need to function as though we're all going to be church planners. That's how we need to function. Key point number six. Church planting is God's mission on the move. 
That's what he's doing right here, going other places. What he's doing in Kaya, what he's doing in Living Faithly Summit, what he's doing, take that and move it. Plant that culture somewhere else and let it grow. So what does that mean? Every believer serious about being deployed will pray, prepare, give, and go. They'll pray. Pray for those who've already gone. Pray that God would reveal who you are in ministry. Pray, God, do you want me to go? Am I supposed to go? Am I the one on that team? Am I supposed to go to Vietnam? Am I supposed to go to Dallas? Am, Am I supposed to go to Denver? Am I supposed to go to Toronto? Am I supposed to go? And you might ask him that question 5, 10, 15 years. Doug Pearson, for a decade, asked, Lord, am I supposed to go to India before he actually went? Next, you need to prepare. Don't neglect your training. Whether you stay in Kansas City or you find yourself planning a church in Vietnam, you are responsible for ordering your life in a way that is becoming a soldier. Get the training. Listen to your leaders as you prepare. They're going to help you see things that you don't see. They're going to be able to think without, a, without bias, objectively about who you are and where you're at in your, in your walk. Listen to your leaders. Give. I mean, listen, there's, there ain't no way that someone who doesn't know how to sacrifice in their giving to church planning and to missions is the type of person that you want going to do church planning and missions. Like if you can't sacrifice for the work that's already going forth, well you probably actually don't care enough about the work to be the one. So that's something to chew on. Fork over the cash. (laughs) Help, Help them out in Boston. Help our missionaries. I mean, you weren't going to do anything with that money anyway. Right? But man, you know, it's true. You, you, put your, you put your money in the areas that you prioritize. It's a clear picture of what you prioritize, what you give to. And if, if you're serious about church planting, well, then you're going to probably give to missions. And then, and then there's the going. When the time is right, many of you will go. And that'll be cool. So with that said, I'm going to invite up Dan. Because Dan did go. And Dan did take this DNA and these priorities. He did take them and he brought them here and planted a church. And so I think it's appropriate that we hear from him. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.